Hi, this is Mike. And this is Sean. Welcome to The Cooling Tower, our straight talk podcast where we explore all things atomic. Inside The Cooling Tower, we interview atoms and deep dive into interesting topics and perspectives that are worth sharing. Sean and I have our guest, Taylor, in The Cooling Tower today. Hi, Taylor. Hey, glad to be here. So Taylor is a software consultant and designer at Atomic, and she's been with Atomic for going on three years. Outside of work, she likes travel, archery, sailing, and reading. So when I, when I heard this list, Taylor, tell, tell us about archery. Archery is kind of a thing that one. I... It is a unique one. I used to do it as a kid, actually, and there were many, many years that I kind of forgot that it was a thing that you could still do until recently. I went to a bachelorette party, of all things, (laughs) and had the opportunity to try it out again, and I kind of stuck with it since then. So archery at a bachelorette party. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. And the cool thing, it runs in my family. So my grandfather actually has a really long history of being an archer as well. So it's something that kind of takes me back to my roots a little bit. And it's actually something that me and my dad really enjoy doing. Even today, we go bow fishing. I don't Mm -hmm. know if others have heard of what that is, (laughs) but we find a remote spot to just sit by the river and shoot at some fish and we have a great time. That is really interesting. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that with us. That's something I never knew about you. So today we're going to be talking about kickoffs, project kickoffs, and for a spin with our current COVID-19 pandemic that we are all dealing with, uh, we're going to be talking about remote kickoffs. Kickoffs are an important part of our project process, and we're now currently thinking very strategically about how to adapt our in-person practices for remote kickoffs and digital-based kickoffs. You know, being easy and enjoyable to work with is central to our brand promise, and the kickoff is a great opportunity to set that positive impression with a broader set of our client team. It's also important to realize that although kickoffs are one of the most important and uh, recognizable parts of our process, it's, it's not the only part. Other parts are necessary for RDP, which is why it's research design and planning. You know, after the kickoff, we go through a lot of research, prototyping, backlog creation, et cetera. That's a really good point, Sean. It's not kickoff. It's research, design, and planning. And, and kickoff is one component of that and a very important component. Yeah. it's in, in fact, it's been sometimes an effort in the history of Atomic that a kickoff is not considered doing an RDP. There was a time where people started just calling the, the kickoff meetings doing an RDP. RDP is a phase of work, a kickoff being one of the, uh, you know, the the aspects in that phase or activity space in that phase, but certainly not the only one. So Taylor's really well positioned to talk about this because she's designed and executed on a lot of different kickoffs and has also uh, done a lot uh, writing and doing the facilitation of workshops, bringing teams together before projects to think about how to do them well, engaging after those kickoffs and in the design process. So that I'll, I'll open up some questions for you, Taylor. What's the purpose of a kickoff at Atomic? I think at a really fundamental level, the kickoff, because it is that first interaction that we have with a client, it is so important for us to introduce Atomic and our approach to software development that is often like the first time that the client might be meeting their team, might be getting a feel for how this project is going to go. But I think coming out of it, 
the goal is to really understand with absolute clarity, what is it that we as a team are working towards? What are we trying to solve? And what is most important about this challenge? And I think a lot of times the kickoff is a really great space for us to understand from the client's perspective what this domain is all about. And it also helps us understand the gaps in our own understanding of where do we need to like do a little bit more research or do maybe some prototyping to just kind of figure out what might work and what might not really early on. I really like that, Taylor, you pointing that out. We do a consultative approach to sales, but I think it's important to remember that oftentimes the buyer of our services or the people that are involved in the sales process aren't necessarily the same people, or they're only going to be a subset of the people that are going to come to the kickoff. People who really have skin in the game, or this project is very important to what they're going to be doing. So it's kind of like we might show them what's on the menu during the sales process and sketch out some really high-level thoughts, but you're really not getting a feel for the team, inspiring confidence in how we're going to work together until that broader set of stakeholders come and, and you're actually sitting across the table from people, which of course becomes more interesting as we move remote. That's an excellent point, Sean. And I think it's important to think about you know, not only from our client's perspective that, you know, they have new people coming to the table at the kickoff and, and, and they're kind of storming, norming, and forming around the project, just like we are, but also from the, the atomic pre-project consulting or, or sales function, transitioning into the, the, the team really owning and running with the project and, and remembering that our pre-project consulting is really based around identifying a high-level budget in which we feel like we can find success for the given project at hand, along with some goals and ideas and direction for that project. But at that kickoff, it really, it, that ownership really transitions to like our team to like make sure they're helping the client, you know, really understand and say like, okay, we have this budget established and we have this direction about where we want to go. Now, how do we build the best possible product for that budget? And what I found even is in sometimes during kickoffs, that might be a time where you need to, to reset expectations a little bit, you know, depending on how divergent that thinking goes. Cause really coming out of that, you're really, you're really balancing, you know, one of two things. Are we, you know, are we starting to, uh, to manage the budget that we have or, or do we need to like allocate more budget actually? Yeah, we really have that time and space to clarify what the goals are. And most of the time, I think that it's it's pretty focused and we get into the room and we say, help us understand, you know, you want to build an app, let's say, <laughs> help us mm-hmm. understand what's in your head or what your expectation is at this point. And then other times I do think that we get in the room and realize, oh, the thing that we thought you were asking for isn't exactly what we're talking about. So let's really tease that out and be super clear. That's a great point. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to be a consultant. Mm-hmm. So, so take us inside your brain a little bit. Like when you're, when you're starting to, to do the planning and preparation for, for a kickoff, especially, you know, as we transition to doing these in a more remote fashion, you know, what goes into making a, a stellar kickoff for you? Like what, what are you doing before the kickoff? A lot of the things that I do, I think are really centered around building my own confidence with the activities that I'm about to choose for this particular client and their particular challenge. 
I think as with anyone, <laughs> I want to walk in there and feel really confident about how I'm going to facilitate this and what we're going to get out of the workshop. So some of the inputs that I use to build that confidence are definitely some of the artifacts that are created during the sales process. The SOW that's developed, any of the notes that have been taken during meetings, I think are really great insights into the conversations and the expectations that might already be coming to the table in that workshop. I also like to do a little bit of investigation online, just looking at the client's website, trying to understand, you know, what is their messaging? What is their tone? See if I can glean any information about the people that may be coming to this workshop. That's super helpful as well. And sometimes, you know, if it is going to be like a B2C product that we're building, I think it's really interesting to look at the industry as a whole and say like, what's happening in this industry? If they're trying to reach certain consumers, or are there annual reports that I could look at to talk about the history of this particular company and what they might be facing individually? All of that is just super helpful insight into the company that we're about to partner with. Some great tips, Taylor. I, you know, what I hear you saying at the root of that is, how can I start to build empathy for and share my client's perspective? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. imagining that you're like doing Facebook stocking on these people beforehand, you know, like really digging it. I'm, I'm getting inside of their heads. <laughs> it's all helpful. I mean, whether you use it or not in the workshop, I think having some of that knowledge is great. And I think those moments where you might be able to say, actually, I saw that your company did XYZ thing two years ago. It really shows that like we're really invested in this in this challenge with them, if nothing more. <laughs> sure. So I think beyond that, there's there's some communication that happens before the kickoff workshop about, you know, who's gonna come, how many people are gonna come, what sort of time do we have available? I think that's a big one because sometimes, especially if you're getting into more like C suite executive level people at the workshop itself, they may not have an entire day. So if they can only come for the first couple of hours, I want to structure my workshop to account for that. So I want to understand all of those factors that are going to be at play with just the logistics of the workshop itself. If we're doing this remote, I want to understand where everyone is at. Is it actually a distributed team? Are we all speaking English? What sort of tools can we use? Because some companies will have some rules about what products or applications their team can use. And so getting ahead of those things is really important in the planning process as well. That's really, really smart. And you, you said something earlier in the conversation that, that really perked my ear. And I think it's just a genius thing to do. And, and that's, you know, especially if we're working with a client that's publicly traded or a client that like a, a key part of their supply chain interacts with a, with a publicly traded company, you know, reading those reports that just came out, like it just gives you so much insight because all publicly traded companies need to produce reports every, every quarter. They need to give uh, shareholder guidance. They need to give some tips and tricks as to like what they're what they're diving into, where they're spending money, and I and I think just having that information just has to has to make the client just appreciate the interactions with you so much more. Yeah, I guess to give some context into how that's worked out recently for me, there's a client that we worked with that I found through some of these reports that the company itself, the size of the company has grown four times over the last 10 years. And yet their general revenue or profit as a company has about stayed the same as it did 10 years ago. So I think what that shows me is like, there are some constraints there for the business itself. And the product that they're asking us to build is focusing on 
centralization and efficiency for the business. And so through that understanding, I can say maybe a journey map is actually a really great activity for us to do to talk about workflows and to talk about efficiency with this team and what that means to them if that is a focus of the entire business. So that's just one example, I think, where some of that report work can kind of help me shape what comes into that workshop. Can you dive deeper on that? Tell us about this journey map. And like, so you're you're thinking journey map because you're thinking, you know, this company is going to be really focused on operational efficiency because you've learned that from like understanding about the company. So they're, they're probably less of a, I'm looking for big new opportunity and more about like, how do I streamline what I have? Right. So the journey map is such a great activity, I think, for a workshop because it gives us two sides of a coin. It gives us how does this thing work today and what is part of this particular process that we're building software for. And it also gets the team talking about how it ought to work in the future. And I think that's why thinking about that future state process and workflow and talking about efficiency, like where are there places to optimize this particular process? Where do we want to invest our time on the team building software to do that optimization? You know, I think also it really highlights some of the challenges that they that users may be under to say like this particular part of the process is a huge issue for them. They don't understand it. I think the journey map activity as a whole also gives us some insight into how much they want to rethink the problem versus build software around how it works today as mm-hmm. more of a rebuild challenge, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That does. So Taylor, it's, I've, I've found sometimes for people that are new to kickoffs or they're, they're about ready to design their first kickoff experience, sometimes there's this desire to say, well, what's, what are the three best practices, right? To run a kickoff. Like these are the things I should always do. And, you know, I've, I found maybe some of those like timeless cross cutters are, are like, you know, build personas, right. Uh, build context scenarios. But, but what you're teasing out is that sometimes there's activities depending on how open-ended or close-ended, or if this is an innovation project versus a process improvement project, you, you really need to go to a, a basket of potential activities to choose from and then use your discretion to appropriately select. Is, would you agree with that? And, and if so, like take, take us through kind of your mindset as you, as you pick activities for a, a specific kickoff. I think that's absolutely true. And I do think that it's also true that there are usually a series of activities that just make a lot of sense at the beginning of a project. Things like doing personas or doing journey maps or doing business model canvases are really great for helping the team understand the domain that we're working within and helping build alignment on what we're about to build, which I think is why those activities are so common. I will say though, and maybe this comes with some experience with facilitation. I've never facilitated the same activity the same way twice. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to like give permission to everyone who's facilitating to hack the methods any way that you need to, to drive towards the the end deliverable that you think is going to be most valuable for the team and for the project. So even with personas, sometimes I'll adapt the certain questions. Maybe I don't really care about demographics of the persona. I care more about the jobs that those personas have to do. And so I'll change it that way. Or maybe the personas will be like, give me a person's name who does this job. Or maybe it's give me roles. And I want to talk more about roles instead of individual people. 
So there's so many ways to kind of micro tweak each of these activities depending on what I think is going to be most valuable for the work ahead of us. That's really cool. I, I, I often think about, you know, when you're working through a process and you're trying to get to a desired goal, there's really, there's really three tactics you can take, right? Like you can, you can uh, um, really work to, to work through people. You can work a process or you can start with the end and then, and then walk backwards on how to get there. And what I'm hearing from you is you start from the end and then you bring tactics from the other two to get you where you want to go. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And it's not without its fault sometimes. I do think that there have been times where I started at the end with some assumptions of here's what I think we're being asked to build. So I'm going to craft it this way. And then we get into the workshop and realize, oh, they we're not ready to do a journey map yet. We don't have enough information. And so that's going to be a waste of time right now. And I'll just say that to the group. I thought we would be ready to do this, <laughs> but we're not because I, I don't think that we understand enough about XYZ to move forward. So I'm going to change it up. I'm going to do a different activity. And I think if you're facilitating with a group, definitely check that with your other facilitators before you call an audible (laughs) in the workshop itself. But I do think that, you know, everyone I've worked with has been super receptive to that kind of transparency and usually agrees like, yeah, let's, we'll revisit the journey map when we're ready. (laughs) Yeah. That's a super pro move. Yeah, it's it's a pro move. It's some next level facilitator skills is to to not to continue to push through something that isn't adding value and to have the confidence to to slow down and tap the brake, zoom out and say what what matters now and and reach back into that portfolio of tools. It's in a, it's really an admission of what everyone in the room is probably feeling that we're all at the point of maximum ignorance. We're all learning as we go and Hey, we we thought we could do X, but we need to do Y first, and this is why. And I think it's such a great alignment, also with just the way that we work at Atomic, to say like we'll try something, and if it's not going to work out, we're going to switch right away. That is that is what it means to be super responsive in our work. So I think it really shows the client right away what we're made of, how yeah. we approach challenges like that. So we, we love to heat up the cooling tower every once in a while. And uh, I'd like to do that with this next question. So I'd love to hear a story about a kickoff that you were doing that maybe then didn't go as expected. And, and, and how did you go about overcoming that? Yeah, there is a particular kickoff that comes to mind. It's one of those kickoffs that's like, when I think about planning for any other upcoming kickoff, I think about this one as like cautionary tale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We got into a kickoff. We had, it was a really big kickoff too. We had probably about 16 people, which is much bigger than most of our kickoffs. It required multiple facilitators. It was several days. Wow. And right at the beginning of the kickoff, one of the participants in the group brought some information that made our project kind of moot. Like, you don't need software if this is true. (laughs) Or you have a solution already and it's just a matter of getting, you know, getting people on board with the solution that you have and the process that's already in place. So in a sense, you know, I look back at that and say the kickoff was fantastic at drawing out that information really early on in the process before anyone started to work. But in reality, we have 16 people in a multi-day kickoff and 
we might not need to do this at all. (laughs) What we ended up doing in that particular scenario is really stepping back and we had, we had a quick break, like a 10 or 15 minute break where we pulled the client aside and a little bit of a debrief. And we said, Hey, we're, we're hearing this information and this is kind of how we're perceiving the situation. What's your, what's your take on this? And that conversation, and I think that partnership of really coming to the table and saying, you know, do we need to kind of press pause, take a step back and really rethink this, I think was really helpful. It showed our consulting ability and we did have to completely adapt. We completely adapted to the point where we got just the most critical people in the room to have a a really frank conversation with each other about what the challenge was that we were trying to address. Um, We dismissed everybody else in the workshop (laughs) for the afternoon, at least. And then we met back up the second day and said, even though, you know, the goal point has changed, there are still things that we as consultants can bring to the table to help clarify the circumstance that we're in now. And then we'll do a debrief afterwards a little bit more deeply to kind of figure out what this means for the entire project. Wow. That's a really awesome story. (laughs) I I mean, frankly, because like... When I think about software, some people think that like, you know, poor quality software is like the worst software you can write. No, the worst software you can write or invest in is really high quality software that people don't need. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was these workshops, these kickoff workshops tend to be a time where multiple departments are coming together for the first time to talk about this. And I think that was the case in this particular workshop that we're talking about, where they just hadn't had the space to have these conversations yet. And so it's as much about trying to build alignment and get on the same page and define the work ahead as it is about helping these relationships collaborate and partner with each other in a way that they may have never done before. That makes sense. It's it, I've been excited to see in the past few years as well how our teams have become aware of that. And if we're sensing that between the the end of the pre-project consulting phase and prior to the kickoff, we sometimes are learning you don't have to do the kickoff on like day one of the team starting. Like the team can start doing some feeler conversations and warm-up conversations, whether it's before the team starts in full force or, you know, or it's that's how the team is starting. But when you get those cross-departmental kickoffs, like making sure there's a little bit of pre-alignment before everyone's in the same room. It's been exciting to see us grow, grow muscle there. And it it seems obvious in hindsight, but. uh... I do think that's a really great thing that you point out that even just circulating the agenda with someone who knows everyone who's going to be at this workshop ahead of time is so important because they may also look at the activities that we've selected And they might know like, this is just not going to fly with the team that's going to be in the room, or this is how we need to adapt this activity. Or maybe they'll say, just know (laughs) that some of these things have happened in our past. So when you do facilitate it, know that that may be in people's minds as well. And it's just such a good thing, I think, to make sure that the client's involved in a little bit of the planning ahead of time. One of the concepts I wanted to, to draw out in our conversation today is... I feel like every time we go into, as a team, we go into a new project, there's an emotional journey happening. And there's an emotional journey that's happening for our client. And there's an emotional journey that's happening for our makers. And I've always found that the, that the kickoff is this really interesting inflection point where like 
different personalities, different uh, excitement for the, the project or nervousness for the project seems to collide. So I'll see a lot of times it's, you know, from the client's perspective, it's probably a project they've been fighting for internally for a while. They've probably got, they finally got budget to do it. They're super excited. They're like ready to like set the world on fire. And I found, frankly, I found sometimes with, with, with developers and I felt this way as well, like in the, in the developer seat that I'm coming into this meeting and this is a meeting where like everyone talks about their hopes and dreams and I'm feeling the pressure to deliver on those hopes and dreams. So for me, it's almost like an emotional low point that then builds through the project. I'm curious if you've seen that same dynamic with our, with our clients and our teams. And, and if you have, how, how have you gone about dealing with it? Yeah, I think that's a really fantastic point. It's important for us as consultants to know that we usually aren't involved in the beginning. And this process that the client has been on could, could be years to your point. The fact that they're here <laughs> means that they've won a lot of milestones already. And it also may mean that they have very high expectations that they're going to get all of their biggest wishes and dreams that they've been pushing for for a long time. I think that the kickoff workshops also have an ability to get the client to dream big as well and to put all of those ideas and wishes on the board and say, these are all the things that we want to accomplish and we want to do it in a few months. (laughs) So I think depending on the activities that you have, I think it's so important to also converge on some of the most important things after you do that divergence, that creative thinking and brainstorming and what might this thing look like to really bring it back and say like, okay, all of these things could be true and they could be in the pipeline of this software, this product at some point. But what is most important for us to start with and what is most critical for us to be able to say that we're delivering value to the users that we're designing for? And in my experience, I think some of those conversations towards the end of a workshop do help a client kind of get real with where do we want to start and what are going to be the biggest wins for us to deliver as soon as possible. That's great. So Taylor, shifting a little bit more into what we're facing in the coming months with working remote is everyone is uh, working in the context of uh, the, the COVID pandemic What are your thoughts, your early thoughts on some of the activities or ways we can do kickoffs in a remote context? As I was starting to puzzle at this uh, idea and consider it, it's, uh, you know, how do you do do full day sessions or do you break them up into different sessions? Um, How do you keep everyone aligned? Are there better collaborative digital tools that can be uh, you know, translations of some of the analog ones. I'm, I'm really curious to hear where your, your head is at on the activity selection and facilitation when we, when we take these kinds of things remote. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that a lot of what we do in kickoff workshops is very adaptable to a virtual or remote type setup, which is great. I think the biggest changes really come in how we facilitate. I think if you're going to do anything remote, we have to be even more diligent about our planning and our prep ahead of the workshop, especially if we're going to have multiple facilitators or multiple team members that are a part of making that workshop happen. I think that you bring up a great point, though, also about just the nature of these remote 
calls that doing something for an entire day or for several days can be incredibly taxing, <laughs> especially because we have to over communicate and we have to over share, over explain things when we're on the phone versus being in person. We don't have the luxury of inferring or seeing people's reactions during the workshop or seeing if they're getting tired or if they're confused. So we have to work that much harder to draw those things out in conversation. And so I think the biggest things that I would change for doing a remote workshop is to probably slow it down, to know that it's going to take one and a half to two times the amount of time to get through some of these activities in a remote setting as it would if you were all co-located in the same space. To understand that our clients may not be familiar with online collaboration tools at all. Uh, hmm. Skype or Microsoft Teams might be their only introduction into like remote meetings and remote collaboration. I think having that understanding and going into it means that we have to also really be conservative about how many tools we're introducing into this kickoff. <laughs> and if we are going to introduce some sort of remote collaboration tool like Mural or Miro is one of those where you can do sticky notes and stuff on a whiteboard sort of thing, cool. but all digitally. Both of those tools take a little bit of a learning curve. So you can do things like, you know, introduce the tools with an icebreaker so that people get into, here's how to make a new sticky note. Here's how to move some things around, you know, and here's how this application is going to work. But be really choosy about not introducing too much, I think, into the workshop. Those are really good thoughts. I, I, I kind of like your your pro tip on introduce the tools through an icebreaker. I, I know even when we're using you know analog tools in the face to face world, I realize the people that don't even understand they're already sometimes dealing with blank slate syndrome on like how do I create a story map or how do I start filling in a business model canvas? And sometimes um, I've mitigated that by doing a little bit of pre-work or, you know, I would, I would have thought you might've done X, Y, and Z in the business model canvas. Is this right? And then they can like have an affordance to, to build from. So, so starting to try the tools in an icebreaker setting allows people to grow muscle in a way that's very forgiving and fun. That's a cool concept, Sean. It's almost like you're, you're putting out a straw man Yeah. that it's, you know, from a client's perspective, it's, it's probably always easier to critique something that's out there than start from nothing and get to something. Yeah. Especially when this may be their, their first time using a tool or coming into an exercise and not fully know what's expected of them. Right on. Well, I'd love to, to transition the conversation a little bit before we wrap. I'd love to talk a little bit about the history of kickoffs and the RDP process at Atomic, because this isn't something that we've always done here. And for that, Sean, can you give us a little history on RDPs at Atomic? Sure. Well, I mean, kickoffs in general, we always had a start to a project. And uh, oftentimes, and, and Mike, you can speak to this too, we used to take the concept of stories from agile software development and actually write them on story cards, which were like the recipe cards. 
um, and work through, uh, you know, story writing with clients to help uh, flesh out a project. We even used to store these almost like in filing boxes, like a little bread box almost. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what I loved about those days was it actually allowed like your brain's, you know, centuries old honed spatial reasoning skills to kick in and you'd see, oh, there's just a lot of these. We got to, we got to trim the backlog. But when we, when we moved into integrating design into our offering, which um, Carl Erickson did in 07, um, first through partnerships and then working to bring some of the skill sets in-house, by, by 08, I started working with Carl on what can we do to integrate design and, and development services in an agile fashion. And that was all very new in the industry at the time because it used to be you'd go to the design agency and they'd like design everything down to pixel perfect visual designs and throw the book over the wall to the dev team. So we were thinking, how can we break those cycles? And it was scoping how much should we do, you know, really broadening our view of design is not just visual design, but understanding human centered design or goal directed design. And we wanted to put a term for this phase, you know, some, some companies were calling it iteration zero uh, we really wanted to draw out and underscore the importance of research, you know, as the a foundation to good design to help understand what was going on. Um, so we we came up with a three letter acronym, the the RDP. You know, it's arguable that research should sit under the D of design, but um, we wanted to kind of draw that one out as a as a top level citizen in the acronym. And so, yeah, it, it turned into by by the 08 time period, we were doing kickoffs. And then outside of the kickoffs, that would help us bring other practices to bear, whether it was contextual inquiry, validating personas. Sometimes we do wire framing and, and get things you know similar to what we do today. That helps us have a more informed backlog. Since that time, we just keep getting better, adding more tools to the to the toolbox. It's like amazing seeing how we have the you know product guidebooks that have come along, and um, there's there's some lessons learned. Uh, in our history of wanting to be very utilitarian and have everything out of the research design and planning phase be, you know, in Google Docs and flexible. But um, sometimes when someone gets a really beautifully printed book that shows the value delivered, it it makes you feel the value of that time. So I, I love to continue to see teams and, and, and our makers innovate on how to support clients' emotions and, and have them have like an outstanding experience through this phase of work, as well as in, increase the, the caliber of our, our tooling and the deliverables. It's a great point, Sean. You know, it also, it always reminds me that like one shoe size doesn't fit all, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's some clients where, you know, someone is, someone is being tasked to, to really get this project kicked off within their organization, mm-hmm. and they have other stakeholders within their own organization that they need to go back and, and, and justify and like help present like what actually needs to be happening. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think those, those guidebooks that we're creating are just, are just beautiful. They're like spot on. They're exactly what the, what the client needs. Right. And, you know, then other times there might be a client where we don't need to take it that far. And it's great. You know, some of the things that Taylor hit on earlier about having the empathy to really understand and know um, which way to go. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful uh, having the opportunity to talk with you today, Taylor. Thanks for uh, participating in the cooling tower. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>